Hey everybody, thanks for stopping by. I'm Eric Johnson, and this is the Burley Flow Podcast. Today we're going to talk a little about space, but before we do, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That way, if you like what you hear, you'll never have to miss another installment. And when we're done, take a minute to check out the website at burleyflow.com, where you'll find a bunch more stuff, including excerpts from my book and information about even more content over on my Patreon page. Oh, and just to be clear, thanks again for being here. Paul Brannigan is the kind of guy who throws himself at whatever he happens to be interested in. And because he's got the attention span of a fruit fly, that means he's throwing himself at an awful lot of things, pretty much all the time. Puppetry, bird watching, model rockets, charcuterie. There's just so much to learn, he told me one day, back from Dubuque with a wood burner and an armful of boards. There's just so much to do. You might think this kind of renegade enthusiasm would prove taxing on a marriage, but Cassie Brannigan is tolerant to the point of encouragement. It keeps him out from underfoot, I heard her tell the morning ladies at the Weezer once. Obvious but unsaid is the fact that when he moves on, he moves on, which means she can put the cast-off supplies on eBay, honestly mark them as like new, and then divert the funds to the things she's interested in, Fiesta wear and vintage costume jewelry. That's a pretty necklace, Paul will say occasionally at dinner, eating on a slightly different shade of plate than the night before. Thanks, she'll reply. You have good taste. Oddly enough, the only interest that's ever really bothered her was his brief infatuation with space-age pop music, and it had nothing to do with the kitchen music itself. It was the fact that most of it could be found on the streaming services they already subscribed to, which meant that there was nothing to return when he moved on. And while you'd think that would end up being a wash, nothing to return, so nothing spent, you'd be wrong. Because, thanks to a ridiculously comprehensive website he found devoted to all the artists and all the records and all the subgenres of the topic, he spent plenty. He printed it out. All of it. The entire site, including discographies. In color. And the best quality setting their little Epson inkjet had. What am I supposed to do with these? She demanded when he moved on to Japanese calligraphy. No one wants four binders worth of crappy music. Turns out I did. That's how I met the Brannigans. I saw her ad in the Don't Miss It and had to check it out. And now, thanks to that little ad, I know my Les Baxter from my Martin Denny. Every now and then, Paul will pop into the bilge pump to talk about his latest passion. This week, oddly enough, it's space. Astronomy, actually. He had with him what looked to be a pretty decent telescope, at least four constellation apps downloaded on his phone, and a reservation at Astro Acres, a campground for the seriously committed stargazers that supposedly sits atop one of the darkest ridges in the good enough region. 
Good enough for them, good enough for me, he told us. It's got minimal light pollution, a view unobstructed by anything except the windmill that powers the common building, and it even has vermiculture toilets. I'm not really sure what made worm-powered outhouses such a selling point, but Paul was definitely sold, especially because his reservation was to coincide with a Perseid meteor shower, known to even duffers like me as one of the best times to catch a falling star or two. I thought about sharing my own experience with the Perseids, but ultimately decided against it. It's one of my go-to stories, so I figured I'd probably get pretty wound up telling it, which wouldn't really be fair to him. And besides, in the end, it doesn't really have much to do with meteor showers, at least not the way Paul wants to experience them. This is one of the difficulties of being me. Somehow, for being just about the most boring person you'll ever likely meet, I seem to have a story for just about everything. They're not always good stories, and frequently I'm the only one who sees the connection between them and whatever it was we were talking about before I totally derailed it. But if there's a story there, it's really tough for me not to tell it. All of which seems to confuse people, because aside from being boring, I'm also a hug-the-wall introvert. In fact, I have a souvenir to prove it. At a work gathering at the old Altoona train depot, I was so far against the wall that a piece of it crumpled off. It was later given to me at an office Christmas party, where, of course, I was standing up against another wall. And yet, armed with a good story to tell, I'll practically throw myself into the spotlight, even among strangers, something most would probably find annoying if they weren't so surprised. Those who know me know what to expect, even if they are confused about the why of it all. So rather than annoyed, I think they're more amused than anything. Not so much by the story, but by me. Anyway, this time I kept my story to myself, even though it was a good one. Besides, space is a big topic. I had plenty of other things I could talk about. Like my first grade teacher's husband, who worked at the little planetarium at the local university. He moderated the best field trip ever, which led to a love of space so strong it became an obligation. I was a weird little kid in that I took everything seriously. Not seriously in the sense that I was ever dedicated. If I'd been dedicated, I have a whole lot more to show for my life than I do. But seriously in the sense of a ponderous old man who puts meaning in all things. Therefore, even things that should have been fun were sometimes a burden. I suppose the equation ends up being something like value equals time plus sacrifice. Thanks to that little planetarium, I valued astronomy. Therefore, to prove it, not just to others, but to myself as well, I needed to live it and breathe it. Which is one thing when your study material is the giant book of space or the how and why wonder book of planets and interplanetary travel, but something else entirely when you discover the college level astronomy classes on the continuing education channel you find when you move to Chicago in fourth grade. Suddenly, the time in that equation equaled two hours a week, and the sacrifice came in the form of a lost childhood because those two hours came smack dab in the middle of Saturday morning cartoons. So picture it. 
There I was, lying in bed every Saturday morning, watching an old man in a white short sleeve shirt and tie, something we now ironically associate with Geek Squad agents, but back then was closer to its NASA nerd purity, talk about quasars and binary stars and Kepler's third law. Only once did Mom come in to check on me. I was in middle school by then. She looked at the TV, looked at me, looked back at the TV, and then lowered herself down on the edge of the bed. In a movie, this would have been the point where the mom realizes her son's a genius. But we all knew that wasn't the movie we were in here. You sure you don't want to go outside and play? She asked. It's nice out. And do you know what we have to thank for that? I volleyed back. The troposphere. Okay, she said, standing up. No more Saturday morning TV. Let's see if we can get you into some kind of park district, something or other. You need some friends. We settled on tennis. So that's how my flirtation with astronomy came to an end, I said to Paul. But it turns out park district tennis wasn't so great either. Because the main goal was to find me some friends, they put me in with kids my own age, which would have been fine except for the fact that they all knew what they were doing and I didn't. But because I'd never held a tennis racket before, they also put me in with the beginners, who were all like five, which meant that I was the kid nobody wanted to play with in both classes. If you wonder how I ended up the way I am, you probably don't have to look much further than this. Uh-huh. Paul said, looking a little disoriented. That's quite a story. I felt bad as I watched him pick up his telescope and head dejectedly for the door because I'd done it again. Derailed things with a story, even though that was exactly what I was trying to avoid. Even worse, this felt like a cautionary tale, which had him looking for meaning and intention where there was none. It was every bit as dismissible a story as the one I should have told, which was at least funny. Next time he comes in, I'll just head out back and spend some time with my binders. Some of that music could almost be considered easy listening, and oddly enough, that's right in my musical wheelhouse. There's a story there, too, but how about I just keep that to myself for the time being? Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for stopping by, and when you get a chance, don't forget to check out the website at burlyflow.com. There's some cool stuff there I think you'll like. Thanks again. We'll catch you later.